0: If you guys listen uh, to the news as frequently as I do, you may have heard this story. It came out last month, actually, out of Utah. A private investigator says he had tracked down a homeless man and delivered some good news. The man had inherited a whole lot of money. Uh, David Lumberg said he found Max Mellitzer pushing a shopping cart filled with personal possessions in a Salt Lake City park. Lundberg declined to disclose how much money Melitzer had actually uh, would actually be receiving, but said that the man's brother, who died of cancer last year, last year left him a "quote unquote" significant amount in his will. He'll no longer be living on the street or in abandoned storage sheds. He told the Associated Press he'll be able be able to have a normal life and be able to live and have a home and provide for himself and purchase clothing, food, and health care. The investigator said he broke the news to Meltzer while they were sitting on a bench at Pioneer Park. While Lumberg said he didn't tell Meltzer how much money he was inheriting, the man was excited. He's still in shock. This came out of nowhere, Lumberg said. Meltzer has been homeless for years. Earlier this month, a police officer found Meltzer sleeping in a car in an Ogden salvage yard. Now, can you imagine walking in Max Meltzer's shoes one day? One day, you're living in abandoned storage sheds or sleeping in an abandoned car out in a uh, salvage yard. And then the next day, you find out that you have inherited more money than you can imagine. And you're going to sleep tonight in a bed in a house. And you're going to have seafood for the first time in over 25 years. And all of this without doing a single thing to earn it. Now... What is the church if she isn't a bunch of Max Mellitzers? If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them to Ephesians chapter 1 where the Apostle Paul, kind of like Detective Lundberg, is going to break the news to the church that she is more rich than she could ever imagine. And I want you to pay attention to what Paul says about how your salvation is being accomplished by all three persons of the Trinity. Max didn't know how much money he was even inheriting, but he was very excited and shocked. And now the story is being told for us to read. Here Paul is telling you and me that we are all beneficiaries of great riches made possible by the Godhead. And like the apostle, I pray that you will let it create in you and that God would create in me a wellspring of praise of glory back to God. Before we read verses 1 through 14, I do want to show you something, though, that's pretty amazing about these verses. Actually, verses 3 through 14 in the original Greek language are one long run-on sentence. Now, oftentimes what you find in the English translation is uh, is that the, the translators will break it up by periods and commas to make it easier for the readers to read. But what we have here, more than just a, a logical progression of thought, Is actually like a lyrical praise from the Apostle Paul, where he takes no time, he wastes no time unfolding his thoughts, laying line upon line, phrase upon phrase, um, uh, doctrine upon doctrine in one long sentence. So he pours out his heart in worship. Like this lyrical praise, and you could see this if you look at the passage before we actually read it in verse 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace. And then again in verse 12, to the praise of His glory. And again in verse 14, to the praise of His glory. And like Paul, may our response tonight be full of triune praise as we discover that we were planned by the Father, that we were purchased by the Son, and now we're being preserved by the Holy Spirit. Please join with me and stand as we read God's word in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Paul writes this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, You were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look into Your Word tonight in Ephesians chapter 1, Lord, please open our eyes that we may see wonderful things tonight. Lord, I pray that as, as the night unfolds that You would open our mouths that our lips may declare Your praise. God, that we would marvel at tonight. the the generosity of your grace, which you have lavished upon us. Lord, help us to understand what we read tonight, what we hear tonight, Lord, that we would be making much of your grace and much of your love, which has been displayed through the Godhead. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, if I were preaching week after week, and um, I would... No longer, no doubt, I would take the book of Ephesians in this particular passage and I would divide up what we're looking at tonight into three different sermons and detail the work of the Trinity one by one, looking at the work of the Father, then next week, look at the work of the Son, and then the next, the work of the Holy Spirit, all as they are working together to accomplish our salvation. But tonight, so with that in mind, we're, tonight we're just going to merely scratch the surface of the text. And there's so much that I would like to say that won't be said tonight. But this is not going to turn into a sermon on the differences even between Calvinism and Arminianism. Um, I will not be debating on the sovereignty of God versus the responsibility of man as we look at this passage uh, tonight because that is a mystery that Scripture shows both of them working together. If I were asking you tonight about this particular text at hand, and I would say to you, whose words did we just read? And you might respond and say, well, they were Paul's words. Well, they were God's words. Well, actually, they're both Paul and God's. How does that work? And you would be right in saying it was both. What we read are actually Paul's words, and they are said in a very Paul-like way, as opposed to other writers of the New Testament. And we can see that. We can see personality and the differences between the writers. And so that is true. And with all of that said, he is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and although Paul is writing out his own thoughts, he is writing them no more and no less than what God wants written. And so we see the responsibility of man at work with the overarching sovereignty of God at hand. You see what I'm saying? So a great example would be another letter that Paul writes to the Philippians in chapter 2, verses 12-13, through 13, where he says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, church. The responsibility of man, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Full circle, what we are seeing here is God's sovereignty at work in his people to accomplish his purposes. Just like a guitar string. We listen tonight to the guys leading us. The guitar string needs proper tension to make good music. And what we see is tension oftentimes in the Scripture with the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. God uses both of them together to create the beautiful music of His salvation. Because this text tonight in Ephesians 1 is going to deal specifically with the sovereignty of God. That's all I will be talking about tonight. So we'll start off with a question. Do you remember a time in which you heard the Gospel, you repented of your sin, and rest all of your faith in Jesus Christ alone. Do you remember that? And then do you remember, at that time, the relief and the freedom that you received from the knowledge, the full knowledge and understanding that all of your sins were washed away and the penalty of death had been removed from your account? This is the most amazing moment in all of life. Nothing, nothing, nothing is greater than that. Not having your first child... For those of you who have grandchildren, not even your grandchildren, as much as you love them, are greater than this moment in your life. If you're just getting married, that that marriage, that wedding, and then the honeymoon, and all that, nothing, none of those things even come close to what happened at that moment when you transferred from death unto life. Whether it was a job promotion, a a salary increase, getting your first home, uh, getting a degree, getting accepted into that school. None of those even come close. All of them compel in comparison to knowing that you're going to spend eternity in sinless perfection without separation with God in heaven. It's simply the difference between stepping off in a pothole and stepping off into the Grand Canyon. One will impact your life in a moment. One will impact you for all eternity. And Paul tells us that this was a divinely orchestrated, united work of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What the Father began in eternity past was flawlessly executed by the Son of God and has been and is being secured and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4-6 through six gives us a similar picture of this triune unity where Paul says, But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So, in other words, He says that the Father sent forth His Son, Jesus Christ, so that He might redeem us and adopt us as sons. Then, to his newly adopted sons, he sends his Holy Spirit into our hearts so that in full circle, we would cry back to our Father. And there we see the work of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit all united as one, accomplishing our salvation. Well, now look back with me again in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3-6, through 6, where we can see that God the Father set us apart to the praise of the glory of his grace. in the beloved so here we see that he has chosen us he has chosen us in Ephesians 2 8 we are told that salvation is not of ourselves it is what it is the gift of God he chose us in Romans nine eleven, the Apostle Paul Takes it a little step further and shows us what he's saying in Ephesians uh, chapter one here that before the foundations of the world he chose us and he takes the, and he illustrates that by looking it back at Esau and Jacob and that before they were born what God was at work doing for though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad so that God's purpose according to His choice would stand not because of works but because of Him who calls he has chosen us. And then in Jonah 2.9, we are reminded that salvation is of the Lord. He has chosen us. But we must be humbled by the fact of God's choice. There was nothing impressive about you or I that that got God's attention. There was anything, good or bad, that we had or had not done that merited us. God's saving grace. Jesus said in John 15.16 that you did not choose me, but I chose you. William Barclay noted, here precisely lies the wonder. It would not be so wonderful that we should choose God. The wonder is that God should choose us. Be humble by the fact of God's choice. But also wonder at the generosity of God's choice. Wonder at the generosity of His choice. Paul says in verse 3 that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. God is so generous toward us. Notice that His greatest blessings are spiritual. The, the great Scottish Bible expositor Alexander McLaren once wrote, We may have as much of God as we will. Christ puts the key of the treasure chamber into our hand and bids us to take all that we want. If a man is admitted into the bullion vault of a bank and told to help himself, and comes out with one cent, then whose fault is it that he is poor? And also notice that his greatest blessings are in the heavenly places. For our citizenship is in heaven, Philippians 3.20. The writer of Hebrews reminds us that that's where our great high priest, Jesus Christ, is. Our treasure is there, Matthew 6.20. And with so many talking about how to get rich in this life now, Paul is telling you and I that we're already rich. The reality of those riches are yet to be seen in heaven. And you may experience the prosperity in this life, but it is a pothole compared to the Grand Canyon of riches to come wonder at the generosity of God's choice, but also consider the purpose of God's choice. Verse 4b tells us that we would be, it was that we would be holy and blameless before him. Holy. This word carries the idea of being separate, of being distinct, of being different, or being completely other. A temple is holy because it's not like any other building. Priests are holy because they are different from ordinary men and women. An animal to be sacrificed is holy because it's different from any other animal. The Sabbath is holy because it's different from all other days. And God is supremely holy because He's different from us. So, God chose us that we would be different from other people. And then blameless. This is a word of sacrifice word means to be without blemish or spotless. Praise be to God that what we could not do, Christ has done. He is the holy and blameless Lamb of God. And because we are chosen by God the Father in Christ, our position before God is the same as Christ. Holy and blameless. In Christ, the Father took the unrighteous and declared them to be righteous. He took the unworthy and He makes them worthy. And now, what we have been made in Christ positionally, we are to pursue purposefully. 1 Peter one 14 through 14-16 As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you. Be holy yourselves in all your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Consider the purpose of God's choice. Next, He has adopted us. Verse 5 says, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will. We are His kids. He is our Abba. We have a new family, the church. And we have a new Father, Almighty God. Warren Worsby points out that election seems to refer to people while predestination refers to purposes, what God actually does for saved people. And why did He adopt us in the first place then? Paul goes on to say, because it pleased him to do so. Because he just wanted to. As Paul states it, according to the kind intention of his will. And how should his adopted children then respond to his kind intention? Like Paul does in verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace in worship. But next, he has accepted us. He has accepted us. We've already determined that it wasn't on account of our being good or bad, not on our works or on our desires, that we have been accepted. Why has he accepted us? The answer is on account of Jesus Christ. Twelve times between verses 3 through 14, we can see here that Paul uses phrases such as, in Christ, in him, through Jesus Christ, in the beloved, and through his blood, to show us that every spiritual blessing that you and I have in the heavenly places is because of Jesus We are only acceptable acceptable to God because of Jesus. We only have peace with God through the blood of Jesus. We are former enemies of God turned friends of God only because of Jesus. He has accepted us. And speaking of Christ, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son purchased us to the praise of God's glory. He purchased us to the praise of God's glory. Verses 7 through 12. In Him we also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to what? To the praise of His glory. He has redeemed us by His own blood. Just as the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt, and they were passed over and freed by the blood of the Lamb that was marked on their doorpost, we too were ransomed, And we were delivered by the blood of the Lamb of God. How are we free? We are free from the law. We are free from slavery to sin. We are free from the power of Satan in this world. We were slaves made sons, church. This is just one of the many golden coins of heaven that Paul referred to in chapter 3, verse 8, where he says, to me, the very least of all saints, he was humbled by the fact of God's choice of him. The very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles. What? The unfathomable riches of Christ. He has forgiven us our sin. You see? You see, He's forgiven us of our sin just as the Old Testament high priest would take two goats... And he would slay one, and then he would confess the sins of Israel upon the other, and then send it off to wander in the wilderness, never to be seen again. Jesus Christ has become our scapegoat to carry away our sins, never to be seen, gone forever. You owed, Jesus paid. Charges dropped, you're free. And Paul goes on to say in verses 7 and 8 that this is all because of not us, but, quote, according to the riches of His grace which He has lavished upon us. Uh, when I see this, I, I get the picture of when Peter uh, was, when Jesus had been washing their feet, and He comes to Peter and He says, Not me, Lord. Don't wash my feet. And Jesus says, Unless I wash you, You have no part in my kingdom. And Peter says, then wash all of me. And I always think of that as a great picture of the the love that God has lavished upon us. We have been drenched in it. But next, he has united us to God the Father. The Son of God has united us to God the Father. And restated, because we've been accepted by the Father on behalf of the Son, we are no longer cut off from God the Father, but now we're united to him. And why did Jesus then... Why? This is a good question because we often hear this talked about. Why did Jesus live a sinless life? Why did he die a sinner's death on the cross? Why did he rise on the third day? Why did he do it for you and me? Yes and no. Yes, he did it for you. But what is the chief reason, the chief purpose of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ? Verse 12 tells us, For the praise of His glory. This is the supreme purpose of redemption. For the glory of God. And then the third person of the Trinity continues the work. God the Holy Spirit sealed us to the praise of His glory. Verses 13-14. through In Him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed... You were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Charles Hodge points out uh, that there were three primary purposes for the ancient seal. Uh, to illustrate for us the work of the Holy Spirit here. Number one, a seal is used to confirm an object or document as being true or genuine. And for those of you who have traveled outside uh, the continental United States, you've taken a passport, and we know the, the, um, the people who are checking your passports, at customs and all that, they know that, that your passport is genuine. They know it's the real deal because it has the seal of the United States of America on top of it. Romans 8.16 says that the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. God's Spirit shows that that person, that man, that woman, that child, is genuine or truly a child of God because of the Spirit at work in and through Him. He has sealed them to mark them as genuine and true. Number two, a seal is used to mark a thing as one's property. Notice that Paul uses or describes us in verse 14 as God's own possession. The Spirit of God shows us that old me has been shut down and it's under new ownership now. God possesses us. He owns us now. And number three, a seal is used to make something fast or secure. This is like the seal that was placed upon the tomb of Christ, which marked it, or it was an authoritative mark, preventing anybody from entering or exiting that tomb. Likewise, the Holy Spirit has sealed you and I as in Christ for God to heaven. You didn't do anything to earn your salvation, and you can't do anything to lose it. It is the Spirit of God that assures us of that. So the seal is used to show an object as genuine or true. To mark it as one's property and to secure something. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Next, the Spirit of God illuminates our heart to understand Scripture. Notice as Paul speaks of the work of the Holy Spirit after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. See, First, we must listen to the gospel. But we can't really listen to the gospel if we can't hear the gospel. This is all coming out of Romans chapter 10. Someone must preach it to us. Romans 10, 14 through 17. Then the other side of that is we cannot be saved apart from faith. But then faith comes from the word of Christ. And so we have to have someone preaching the gospel so we can listen to the gospel that we may have the opportunity to have the faith to turn to Christ. But none of this is even possible apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2:14, but the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. An illustration of this would be Lydia in the book of Acts chapter 16 verse 14. You see Lydia listening to the apostle Paul and it says this, a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening, key word, what Paul had just said in chapter 1 of Ephesians. She was listening to the Lord, and, or listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. As, as Brother John had, had mentioned this morning, what is faith if it doesn't respond if there's no response, is it genuine faith? And what we see is genuine faith taking place here because the Lord opened Lydia's heart after listening to the gospel to respond. And what we see here is the work of the Holy Spirit illuminating Lydia's heart, helping her to understand the things that Paul has spoken to respond. It is the Lord who opens the heart? This is only made possible by the Holy Spirit. So he illuminates the heart to understand Scripture, and he also guarantees our inheritance. The Holy Spirit is the believer's pledge. It's the down payment. It's the deposit of God on this purchase of new property that we are. He's proof of God's good faith and earnest of the full amount to come, our inheritance. And then finally, He makes us into true worshipers. True worshipers. It's the Spirit of God, church, that makes what we do pleasing to the Father. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. And don't we have reason to give thanks to his name tonight? As David is confessing his sin in Psalm 51. After understanding of God's forgiveness that would come to him, he then prays to the Lord, O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. That's his response to God's forgiveness, is to turn it back into worship. And then my final illustration would be 11 chapters in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1 through Romans chapter 11. Before we get to the big therefore in chapter 12. Therefore, offer your body as spiritual sacrifices. This is your acceptable form of worship. So he responds and saying, okay, now response to everything you've heard in these previous 11 chapters, now offer yourselves as worship to God. And he details in first 11 chapters, he starts to show us the condition, the sinful condition of all mankind and that their only hope can be found in Christ in whom they will never again be separated from God because they're sealed by the Spirit of God who is now their adopted father. And Paul caps it all off. With a great expression of worship, at the very end of chapter 11, he says, "'Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable His ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become His counselor? Or who first given to Him that it might be paid back to Him again?' For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. Everything is full circle with what God is doing. Salvation is from Him, Paul is saying. And salvation is through Him and salvation is to Him. And then he says, to Him be the glory forever. Amen. And so then when we look at Ephesians 1, In verse 3, he starts it off with, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes all the way to verse 14 three times to the praise of His glory. So from beginning to end and all in between, Paul continued to worship God for the work of the Trinity who accomplishes our salvation so that the redeemed of the Lord, the maximizers of His people, would praise the immeasurable and inexhaustible riches of the glory of His grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your kindness that has been displayed through the Lord Jesus Christ. God, thank You that in Your kindness You set us apart from the foundation of the world that we would be children of God. Lord, as John says in 1 John, how great is Your love upon us that You have lavished upon us that we would be children of God. Lord, I thank You as we read this tonight. We see an example from the Apostle Paul that the Word, the word is a conduit of our worship back to You as we look at that. Lord, I pray that our response tonight would be nothing but thanksgiving and praise and adoration back to You because the love of God which has been shed upon our hearts through Christ. God, I pray that tonight You would give Your church a reason to shout, a reason to dance, a reason to sing, a reason to lift hands, a reason to kneel down and confess sin. Lord, I pray that You would use this for Your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we respond tonight, Brother Dan is going to come forward and I want to invite you to stand during this time. It will be a different ending of a service because, because tonight we're going to have multiple songs. We put all the songs on the end so that we, like the Apostle Paul, would have an opportunity to let the Word of God be the catalyst for us to worship. This is not meant to be any sort of gimmick. This is not to be something weird just because the youth pastor is preaching tonight. It's just to model how we've seen the Apostle Paul as he, as he describes the grace of God. He continues to respond over and over with worship back to God. And so tonight what we, do, what we are doing, giving you an opportunity to do, is you've heard the Word and tonight now we can respond back to Him in worship. And Brother Dan, I'd like you to come forward because during this time we're still going to have an invitation during this first song. And if if you heard this, you've heard the gospel tonight. And you hear hear the gospel of what God the Father has done through the Son and is sealed with the Holy Spirit. And tonight, if you have never repented of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ alone as your only hope for salvation, I invite you to repent, to believe in the gospel. That you could come forward tonight. But the rest of us, church, this is an opportunity. Whether you want to come and pray, you want to kneel down, whether you want to just sing your praises there, whether you, whether you want to be silent and just give thanks to God, let's do that. Let's honor Him. Let's adore Him. This is also an opportunity where you can respond in obedience to baptism, to joining the work of this church here at First Baptist and joining us, linking arms with us, and doing this ministry in Volonia, Arkansas, and the world as we proclaim the excellencies of His grace, which we have seen in Ephesians chapter 1. We have something here to rally around church and to proclaim to the nations. So I just want to invite you to respond as we sing through these songs. Uh, Please continue to stand, and let's just sing and sing and sing until it's time to be done.